Hello again, and welcome to this episode of Eureka's Sounds of Science. For this installment of Sounds of Science, we will be discussing non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, otherwise known as NASH. It is the most dangerous form of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and has gained a lot of interest in public health sectors. It is frequently a comorbid condition accompanying common ailments like obesity, type 2 diabetes, and metabolic syndrome. We spoke with Joe Cornicelli, Senior Director of In Vivo Pharmacology at Charles Rivers Shrewsbury, Massachusetts site. In order to study NASH in the preclinical space, you need a reliable animal model. And it's once been said that all models are bad, but some are actually very useful. And I think that that's the case for NASH. The mice for NASH treatment studies are bred to be as similar as possible and are fed special diets to induce the disease. However, within any of those models, especially long-term feeding models, approximately 30% of the animals that are on diet will fail to develop disease for whatever reason. We're not quite sure. Not only do some of the animals fail to develop NASH, the rest may develop the disease at different stages or at different speeds. Researchers have not yet isolated why this happens. All animal models, as I said, have their limitations, and very, very few of them are actual recapitulations of human disease. But they are very useful for studying pathways, and we've used them very successfully to discover and develop some very, very successful drugs. Luckily, Charles River researchers have found ways to minimize this issue and even turn it to their advantage. So it's important to understand ahead of time which animals fall into which group. To that end, one can biopsy the liver ahead of time before you begin treatment on your particular experiment. And that does a couple of things. It allows us to distribute the animals so that not all of the animals with minimal disease end up by a luck of the draw in one group and all animals with severe disease end up in another. And the other is that it permits each animal to serve as its own control. So you can see which animals responded to treatment in which of the pathologic conditions that all comprise NASH. So you'll be able to see how they improve individually one by one. Another issue with NASH research involves how to score the severity or progress of the disease. Scoring pathology in NASH is actually a very hot topic right now. Most of the clients that we deal with would like us to use a method for scoring NASH that has been developed for the diagnosis of the condition in humans. And I stress diagnosis. It is not at all clear that that scoring system is reverse translatable to animal studies. It's also not clear, at least to me, that that scoring system can be used or is appropriate for following treatment over a period of time. It was developed as a diagnostic tool. Doctors' methods for scoring NASH are based on factors like the degree of liver damage, from mild fibrosis to cirrhosis. This is great for diagnosis, since it can tell the doctor which treatments may work and which are too late. For mouse models, however, this approach is too broad and not easily quantifiable. I think we can do better scoring NASH, certainly with animals. To that end, we've had discussions with our pathologists, and we're recruiting some other pathologists from some of our client 
companies to really sit down and think, what is it that we should be looking at in scoring the disease in the animals? As I mentioned, taking biopsies is a big step in moving forward and being able to reduce the heterogeneity or at least distribute the heterogeneity in a meaningful way across treatment groups. I think that there are other ancillary measurements that we can make both histopathologically and in terms of biomarkers and clinical chemistry markers that we can use to really sort of hone in on what's going on in the animal pathology. According to Joe, fibrosis, or liver scarring, is what clinicians care about. Unfortunately, fibrosis in animals does not exactly match fibrosis in humans. Also, the easiest measure for the presence of fibrosis is qualitative and does not show a quantitative degree of damage. It just says whether or not fibrosis is present. Joe says we need both measures for more meaningful results. We performed a study for a client wherein we were able to demonstrate a reduction in fibrosis with their particular test article. And this was done by the semi-quantitative scoring that our pathologist created. The client then asked us to scan and get some pixel counts on those slides, and we did, and there turned out to be no difference between the treated animals and the vehicle-treated control animals. It was a bit of a head-scratcher. Why is this? And Well, it had to do with the character of the fibrosis. In the vehicle-treated control animals, we had bridging fibrosis and much more severe architectural phenotype, as opposed to this very sort of lacy, much less dense, thin fibrosis that appeared over the same section. So those two pieces of information, the architecture and the amount of fibrosis, really kind of go hand in hand. So this is an example of what I'm talking about, that it's the general scoring system, which would have been just the pathologist's interpretation, don't tell the whole story. For Joe, the scoring used in NASH research is crucial. If a standard could be established, then studies and treatments could be compared more accurately. But the real key may be finding the right biomarkers to track treatments without the need for invasive biopsies. The biomarkers, I think, bring this whole thing full circle, right? So if we come up with an agreed upon method for scoring the histopathology, and we know what that disease looks like at the various stages with very careful work, involving things like proteomics, bioinformatics, transcriptomics, whatever, we can come up with biomarkers that are specific for the disease that will really enable us to, number one, find out which patients would qualify for which kinds of therapies, which therapies work best on which aspects of the disease you're trying to to ameliorate. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Sounds of Science.